Hey everyone, it's Brandon Lee, host of the podcast Escaping Rock Bottom. Good to have you here with us today. Back on the podcast, Escaping Rock Bottom is the founder of Pinnacle Peak Recovery in Scottsdale, Tyler Tisdale. Tyler, good to have you back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, always, always, always. Um, I love to talk about things that are happening in the news when it comes to recovery because I think we can take it and we can expound on it because if it's happening to one person, it's likely mm-hmm. happening to a lot of people out there. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that broke recently um, which we were having a great discussion about this earlier. Actually, your class was here, and I actually used one of this to kind of talk to them about um, when someone can become an addict. So mm-hmm. Kathy Griffin, famous comedian here in America, mm-hmm. um, yeah, she just came out recently over the last couple of days um, and said that she is now in recovery. She's a recovering addict, and mm-hmm. she could not fathom, Tyler, how somebody can be an addict at age 59. She says she never struggled with any drugs or alcohol her entire life, but all of a sudden at age Mm -hmm. 59, she's now 60. At age 59, she says she ended up getting hooked on pain pills. And she essentially saying that she was taking a speed ball every single day Mm -hmm. um, with all the drugs. And you know, my first reaction when the headline, the headline of the article, right? That's always going to grab your attention is she said like, how can I, how can anybody become an addict at in their late fifties. And I start mm-hmm. laughing. I'm like, you can become an addict in your seventies. Right. <laughs> First off. Mm-hmm. But it comes with trauma, right? So any, you know, when that traumatic life event happens to somebody in their fifties, when we talk about trauma in recovery, if we're of the belief, right, that trauma is the gateway to, you know, addiction. Mm-hmm. That I think a lot of times people see my story and they're like, oh, childhood trauma. Right. Like, yeah, mine's obvious. It was childhood trauma and I started acting out as a child. But anybody can be totally a normie up until age 50 Mm -hmm. and then a traumatic life event happens and then they begin to numb. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's definitely possible. And um, I saw the interview super interesting with the uh, the Trump stunt she did. Correct. Posting. Taking his head, yeah, like there was, was something put, like a mannequin. I don't yeah. know. It was like a mannequin. She held his put, head during put like ketchup a show. on, put ketchup on it, acting and, like blood. Like she decapitated. Yeah, him. and yeah. she was like exiled from huge both parties, oh, news yeah. outlets, yeah. friends and comedy. And I could really relate to that. Just like that's how I felt in high school when I was getting loaded and I started burning some friends. I was just exiled, and it's such a lonely feeling. That's a kind of a side note. Um, but as far as, uh, her getting addicted, yeah, she didn't drink, uh, her whole life. She grew up in an alcoholic home, um, and just kind of had this thought that I can't drink or, you know, I just need to stay away from that. So she stayed away from it and then started dabbling in, in the, the pharmaceuticals in her late ages and yeah, yeah got addicted addiction, you know, it, it's there. So it's, you know, like you said, trauma might trigger it, whatever triggers it. Right. Once you cross that line. You can't really go back, in my experience. Yeah, because, you know, we talk about this, and there's been debate recently, just that op-ed that caught a lot of fire. You know, when he was just like, addiction's not a disease. Let's not say that. I'm like, buddy, you're about to walk into some serious fire with that. We need to do a podcast on that. Yeah, yeah. like just straight up about is addiction addiction a disease, you know? I mean, my God, I would love to do it. So that'll be our next episode, because I definitely want to talk about that. Because here's my belief. I do believe it's a disease, and I believe that some people are just, right, we're predisposed to it, but trauma's Mm -hmm. A triggering factor, sure. right? It's just like that unhealed trauma is a triggering factor. So if you're predisposed to it, um, I'm also of the belief that um, one day we will find a cure. And I'll talk to you about a headline that just broke the other day um, that we're going to be actually talking about on our morning show 
uh, tomorrow. Awesome. Good morning, sunshine. Um, because uh, well, I'll get to that. Uh, but let's go back to Kathy Griffin. And I and I loved when you said you you could identify with almost how she felt because I started to look at her timeline. I'm like, yeah, you became an addict at 59 and, and 60. I said, but let me look at her timeline about when this all went down. And it all started in 2017 mm-hmm. when she was doing what she thought was funny. Now, she's always been an extreme comedian, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. she just has been like a lot of comedians are for, wait, yeah, almost the good ones. All the True. good ones are. Like I go to yeah. Taj.0 every time he's in Phoenix. And like, I was just saw him recently and we're just going to keep going um, because your camera's good. Um, Okay. uh, So, you know, I I, I watched Taj.0 and Taj.0 is just hilarious, but he's also like so not politically correct. I don't think there's any really politically correct good comedians. That being said, she got huge backlash for Mm -hmm. that, right? And, you know, whether it was warranted or not, who cares, right? It's to her, though the backlash was traumatic for her, right? Mm-hmm. Like being exiled mm-hmm. by people. Like mm-hmm. she had a huge thing with Anderson Cooper. She was like really good friends with Anderson Cooper. And apparently Anderson Cooper like claimed that he wasn't friends with her anymore. Like, wow. oh, I, I'm not that good of friends with her. And like apparently they were like best friends. <laughs> and so even right, you, you're watching your close friends. It's going to put her more into a hole of darkness. Absolutely. And then she says it really escalated when the pandemic hit because all the shows were canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, she couldn't do anything. She was kind of stirring in her house in which we saw, right? We mm-hmm. saw. Yeah. So many people. I mean, I, I experienced a relapse in 2020 during the pandemic, so I totally get it, how it messed with all of our, our brains at some mm-hmm. point. And so the way I looked at it, I was like, well, the backlash she got was totally traumatic, being exiled, finding no purpose. And then reading some of her quotes mm-hmm. was like, you know what? I think my husband would be better off without me around, right? Thinking that as we all do, uh, we think that we're a burden on so many people. And mm-hmm. it's just like one thing after another. If we don't address it, those weights get heavier and heavier and heavier. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she was in a dark place. Like you said, you touched on it. You experienced it. Um, I experienced it in different ways. Everyone experienced it. You know, we were locked down, just a drastic change to our lifestyle. She was suffering, it seemed like, with a lot of mental health issues and depression, severe depression. And and um, her husband, I think, was there to support her. But, yeah, she just felt like I'd be better off dead. And I even heard her talk about it in an interview. She's like, you know, I had a good life, but um, mm. I just felt like I was better off dead at that point. And she, like, really tried to commit suicide. You know, took hundreds of pills. Um, yeah. Super sad, but I think she's in a better place now. It sounds like she's in recovery now. Yeah, she's in recovery, and 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 that's the other thing, um, you know that that I want people to know is, yeah, you can form addiction behavior at mm-hmm. any point in life. You can also get sober at, at any, any point. point in life, you know. Mm-hmm. And I and I think that that's really important because I think sometimes people think like, oh, you can't, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Like, oh, they're <laughs> in their seventies, they're a lost cause, and it's not true. No. Um, as a matter of fact, I think it was even in one of your classes, and definitely in another class recently, um, where there was somebody, you know, in their sixties in mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. and as a matter of fact Calvary that's who it was there was mm-hmm. a woman at Calvary a mm-hmm. week or two ago mm-hmm. and the clinical director over at Calvary said hey Brandon um we have somebody she uses a walker mm-hmm. she's in her late 70s oh wow um you know would she be able to come do art and I'm like mm-hmm. absolutely like send her over here of course for sure um and so when I when I looked at her I was just like man how amazing mm-hmm. how amazing that you're in your 70s and you still want to live an amazing life like mm-hmm. you want to give yourself a go like you're not just giving up mm-hmm. and I think that's cool have you ever seen anybody like in their lates lates start to get sober yeah 
Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and it's, and it's an awesome thing. I think what I've heard a lot of people say, um, that are older in age is, you know, I mean, might as well, I mean, why would I get sober now? You know, I don't have too many years ahead of me, but the fact is you want to make those quality years and, um, being in recovery is night and day better than suffering from alcoholism. So I'd say to anybody that's in their later ages, if you're struggling with alcoholism, hundred percent, give it a go. Like you're worth it just like anybody else and make those, um, years that you have ahead of you, um, um, matter, you know, they're much more quality when you're in recovery. What do you say to somebody as somebody who founded Pinnacle Peak? Um, when you get somebody mm-hmm. around 60 years old, mm-hmm. I can imagine that that telephone call at, at, at you know, at that age is really tough mm-hmm. because they probably think they're not going to relate. Um, right. You, you're yeah. going to go through that list of things. I'm not going to relate to these mm-hmm. youngins in recovery. Like, mm-hmm. how can I go and do that as somebody who owns a treatment center? Mm-hmm. You know, when you do get somebody mm-hmm. uh, around that age, like how, what do you tell them? Like, it, mm-hmm. how do you get them to commit yeah. and get over some of those fears? Right. So um, for our facility, uh, you know, there's there's um, we just definitely want to make sure that we're going to be a good fit for them and that they are they're mobile. A walker's fine, but they're mobile. You know, they could take care of themselves. If not, you know, if you're struggling, kind of getting around, there's definitely places out there for you, too. Um, but what I would tell that person is addiction doesn't discriminate. Alcoholism doesn't discriminate. It doesn't matter how old you are, uh, what you do where you are, if you have addiction or alcoholism, you have it. And that's where you could relate with anybody else who has it. It really forms a, a strong bond between people that are in recovery. You know, um, I, I want to talk about, we, we talk so much about there's no magic pill in addiction, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, yep. We're born in the AA model, right? And we've re- we read the big book, you know, mm-hmm. like so far, so far, science has not found that one thing that mm-hmm. is that, that pill, mm-hmm. that magic, that magic bullet to kind of kill it. Um, how do I say this? I do believe one day we will. Mm-hmm. That's my belief. Like I believe science, we're, I, I believe one day science will figure out a way. Mm-hmm. I just do. And I have hope and I have belief in that. Mm-hmm. Now, is there one now? No. However, um, I because this is where I come from that belief. If we are of the belief that this is a disease, mm-hmm. it's cancer, right? Cancer is mm-hmm. a disease. I right? believe it is. And, and science, science has figured out a way through chemotherapy to help people mm-hmm. battle cancer mm-hmm. when it's caught in the early stages, right? Mm-hmm. So my whole, you know, my whole thing of looking at the double-edged side of everything is, well, if they can do that for cancer and they can do this for every other disease, why does it have to be mental health that we can't figure this out? Why does it have to be addiction, that one loan off that we can't figure it out, mm-hmm. right? And they're spending all that money for Lou Gehrig's disease, all ALS, all this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Where we're still trying, even Alzheimer's, right? We're trying to find those things. So I was reading a news headline, it broke the other day. And it's about, and they're pushing for FDA approval. Um, that they're going to take a skin graph. They take a skin graph mm-hmm. down into the, the attic scene. They pull it out. Mm-hmm. And they do stuff with science to it. And they put the skin graph back. Mm. Like DNA? DNA. And what it does, what they're, what they're hoping and the promise that this is going to do is actually block the craving. It's going to block the cravings like to the brain. Mm. That they're going to figure out a way to, to make a block receptor so that you no longer crave. Wow. And that would be huge, mm-hmm. right? Because isn't that how Matt was created, right? Mm-hmm. And and Matt's now, remember when Matt came around? Oh, yeah. Like, phew, sorry. People in the rooms were like, 
Yeah, there was outlash. There was outlash because mm-hmm. they're like, you don't treat addiction with using other drugs. Mm-hmm. Like, that was the old school philosophy. Well, it's mm-hmm. now become almost the gold standard mm-hmm. by many people, mm-hmm. you know, in recovery um, to help folks with opiate addiction. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. How do we how did we cross that? How do we get people to finally believe that Matt is acceptable? Um, yeah, I think, uh, it's just, it takes time and you know, you'll have, I don't think there'll ever be a time where you have a hundred percent buy-in just like anything else. You know, people have their opinions, um, whether it's politics, religion, whatever it is, I think, uh, in my belief, MAT is probably going to be the same. Honestly, I haven't put a ton of thought into it. It's like, when is everybody going to come around? But I've seen uh, tremendous transformation over the years just within the recovery community come around to it. And you know what I think it is, is just so many people dying from fentanyl overdoses that people are like, man, they're just sick of, like there's so much fatigue of seeing people die. And that sounds really bad to say, but it's the truth. And that's where it hits home for me is like, hey, if this guy is not willing to have an abstinence-based program, or if this guy is high risk of uh, overdose and relapse, I don't, I don't care what your program looks like, you know, like, I just want you to live. And I, that really hits home again for me is cause that my brother experienced that my right. recovery looks different than my brother's. My brother's has been, uh, on medication assisted treatment for gosh, I think like five or six years, his life completely transformed in a positive way. And I went abstinence based and this is what I did. And my life looks, um, great too. And so my mom sitting here looking at both of her kids, in recovery and she doesn't care how we got there you know (laughs) like it's the truth i think people that are against matt like just really haven't like had a personalized experience with it agreed Mm -hmm. and i think sometimes when something's new there's Mm -hmm. automatic pushback to change Mm -hmm. you know and Mm -hmm. you know and i think sometimes too people get stuck in their ways and like old timers were never exposed to that kind of way because it's so new Mm -hmm. you know if they've been sober for 20 30 plus years right yeah and they're like that's not how i did it so that's not how you should be able to do it in a sense because they just don't know Mm -hmm. right they don't have that lived Mm -hmm. experience like you can look at the story of of how your brother's life changed right you know and it goes back to this you know what what is old is new again mm-hmm. and i say this because remember back in the 70s therapists were allowed mm-hmm. to use mdma mm-hmm. in therapy sessions mm-hmm. in order for their clients to get past the frontal lobe get back to the lower amygdala mm-hmm. right where those fears and those traumas are stored the lower part of the brain mm-hmm. that it was used as a distraction in a very clinical setting to have these long, intense therapy sessions to help people heal. Mm -hmm. And then it became recreational and the government said, hell to the no, like we're ending this, people are using this recreationally. Well, Mm -hmm. guess what? It is now making a comeback. And there's a lot of people in the medical field who are saying we need to go back to being able to use some of the drugs that were used back in the 60s and 70s. So whether MDMA, you know, during therapeutic sessions to help people heal from those traumatic events Mm -hmm. and even microdosing Mm -hmm. because microdosing is huge. Now there Mm -hmm. are ketamine clinics right in the Valley. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I'm just picking your brain as somebody Mm -hmm. in recovery, as Mm -hmm. somebody who owns a treatment center. What are your thoughts as we're starting to see ketamine clinics? Because listen, when I was partying in New York City, <laughs> I'm just going to put this out there. Yeah, I too. did special K. I yeah. did K, which was a cat tranquilizer. Now, mm-hmm. was I using it in the doses that they're probably doing at these clinics? Hell no. Mm-hmm. But 
I look at that, I'm like, a drug I used to recreational party with, and now there's ketamine clinics, because we're going to have one of them on the morning show just to talk about it, the modality of ketamine clinics and what it's helping people with PTSD. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just as a person, very open-minded. Um, I don't know enough about the ketamine clinics. I'm aware of them. Um, it's not something that we offer or I have talked about offering. But the MDMA also really interests me. Going back to my partying days, I did a lot of ecstasy. Yeah. I did sometimes. <laughs> I, I tried uh, special K or ketamine, and I didn't like it. It put me in like this weird, like uh, tr- tranquil state where I was just like zoned out, and that's called like a zombie. K-hole. It's a K hole. Yeah, yes, I was, I've it, experienced many yeah. K holes in yeah. my party. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't really enjoy it, but I really yeah. uh, had a good time uh, with ecstasy before it got bad. And then it got to the point, me being an addict, where I was taking ecstasy to see every day mm. and then my serotonin levels just were depleted, depleted. oh god and i was in a really depressive state but that said um i could see how it would be beneficial for therapy because just thinking back on my own experience it really like you just connect with people on a different level yeah and i don't know a ton about it but i did look into it a little bit and um it, it what i thought was interesting was mdma was originally for that Right. And then it became a party drug. That's what like I mean. You said. Yeah. And so it's just interesting. You know, as far as like my opinion on it, uh, I I personally, well, I don't have PTSD right. um, that I'm aware of. So I personally wouldn't do it, obviously. If, uh, if someone in recovery was struggling with PTSD and they tried every other route and they, you know, their quality of life was really low. Yeah. I don't think I could tell them, hey, no, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. You know? But yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that because, you know, like I, I preach to people in my rooms, you Mm -hmm. know, when they come to the art studio, never compare your program with anybody else Mm -hmm. because what works for you may not work for somebody else, Mm -hmm. but don't project onto them. Mm-hmm. what won't work for them just because it, you didn't do it or it didn't work for you. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. And I think at some point we have to be so open-minded. The brain is such a complex thing. Super complex. It is so complex. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm all about using whatever in any setting as long as it is clinically done mm-hmm. and it's done with the intent. And I mm-hmm. always go back as to what's the true intent. Definitely. You know, because... When my doctor suggested, I used to be so, I used to drug myself on sleeping pills, Mm -hmm. even sober, Mm -hmm. because when I, and I really got hooked to sleeping pills, um, when I started working on a morning show, when I had to be up at one o'clock in the morning and I had to go to bed at four 30 in the afternoon, like, okay, you do that. You do it. You go try to go to bed at four 30 in the afternoon, wake up at one and then be bright and bright eyed, bushy tail. When the news comes on at 5 AM to everybody who's watching, good luck with that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I got hooked to like just Lunesta. Right. Mm -hmm. And then like, it was just like a little, my doctors were prescribing it for me. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I had this conversation with my sponsors back in the day. And when medical marijuana started to become legal, Mm -hmm. my doctor said, you know what, Brandon, these sleeping pills are terrible for you. You've been on it for over a decade and it's mm-hmm. damaging your brain. And mm. you could have early onset Alzheimer's if you continue this behavior. Oh, wow. Okay. And he goes that there are studies that are linking now like Lunesta and Ambien long-term use 
They're not mm. meant for more than like two or three days to get you through whatever crisis you're dealing with. Mm. But long-term use, he goes, they're starting to see early onset. Also, we've got to get you off of it. Let's transition you to medical marijuana in order to help you wind down at night. Mm-hmm. My sponsor goes, you go down that route. I'm not sponsoring you anymore. And I was like, okay, dude, but you were okay with me using Lunesta every single night? That's a controlled substance. Ambien is a controlled substance. Mm-hmm. I was like, but you're okay with me using Ambien every night, right? Mm-hmm. Because medical marijuana was so new at the right. time. You know, and I was like, dude, I'm not using it to party. Like my doctor, like that's the last thing. I was an upper. Like I loved meth and I loved ecstasy. Like the last thing I'd do is smoke weed to go have a good time. Like mm-hmm. that was just the antithesis. So I was like, yeah. no, man, that can make me sleep on the couch mm-hmm. every time I did it. And so I, I, I think that I'm seeing kind of some of the same pushback in some senses, even with microdosing, whether it be with shrooms or psychedelics, mm-hmm. um, because my shaman uh, uses, whether it be ayahuasca or whether it be shrooms, you know, to get the normal person to get past the frontal lobe. It's all distracting the frontal lobe. It's like, mm. how can we distract the frontal lobe to get people back here in order to heal? Right. right? The ayahuascas, the shrooms, all that is right here to get past this, the distraction, mm. right? Now, mind you, I can do that in about seven to eight minutes with deep breath work. So my shaman's like, you don't need it. Like you have the ability to drop in crazy after about seven to eight minutes of deep breath work. Um, but I'm telling you this, if, if my doctor or the shaman said, this is your chance to really go back and heal, mm-hmm. you're gonna microdose on shrooms to do this. Mm-hmm. Tyler, I'm telling you right now, I'd do it. Mm-hmm. Because I look at the opposite. The opposite for me is to go choose meth when I go into fight or flight mode and I'll go into flight mode, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's where I'll go. Mm. And so if I, was, if I was at that point and presented with the choice here, I would likely try it. You know, like, like, like I mm-hmm. think you alluded to, like if you have tried everything mm-hmm. and, 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 and you're still struggling to address something, 100%. I think in a clinical setting, mm-hmm. you're not out there, you're intent. Like we yeah, know what our intent. intent is. Yeah. If your intent's to get loaded, like, Hey, I'm going to take advantage of this. This is a, f- a free lapse, you know, I'm right. Go get a little buzz on. <laughs> right. That's, you know, you got to check yourself. But like you said, I mean, man, I've never had PTSD, but I've had really bad, um, anxiety and depression and I just can relate to mental health issues. And I just know how sh- shitty it is to walk through life with stuff going on like that. And I could just really empathize with people that are struggling. And for me, I mean, I've shared it here before. I just made a commitment uh, to really address that for me. And luckily, I was able to hook up with a, a really good practitioner and got some meds dialed in. Um, and now I'm totally good. It worked for me. But mm. I could totally relate with you. It's like if I've done that and then I went here and I went here and I'm still like I'm like suffering from trauma and depression and maybe suicidal. It's like, well, what else, what do you have to lose, you know, if it's, if your intent's good? Yeah, and, and here's the other thing. There's a fascinating article, which we're doing a, another topic on this, is that early childhood trauma mm-hmm. um, in those early stages of our lives mm. changes the way our brains are formed. Mm. Long term. I believe it. Right? Zero to seven years old, whether whatever kind of trauma it is, the science is now proving that that early childhood trauma when our brains are forming, change the formation of our brains mm-hmm. and that it's long-term impact. And that's why I tell people, kids never had a choice. They suffered that trauma. I mean, that's still the fucking pushing back against <clears throat> society of being like, you think these people are choosing to be drug addicts like just to throw their lives away? Fuck, huh, man. Yeah. So we still there? Like we're still having yeah. that conversation to think that people... Are, 
They're there. And they're yeah. there. God. And I'm like, so I'm like, these kids never had a chance and they suffered all that trauma. And now we're going to blast, put them on blast because later in life, they're making poor life decisions. They're mm-hmm. making those poor life decisions because the way their brains are misfiring constantly. Yeah. And that's why we do neurofeedback. We do the brain mapping to figure out like, what are those triggers and how do we rewire? Right. Mm-hmm. And the beautiful thing is of neuroplasticity is that brains can be rewired. Right. We can reprogram the way our brains work. We just have to use, I think we have to be open to the idea of every modality. I'm just curious. The reason why I bring this up, I'm just curious because so many people ask me like ketamine treatments and Mm -hmm. this kind of treatments and this kind of treatments. And it's so new. And people ask me like, what are your thoughts? And I'm like, like, you know, it's, 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 I'm still finding my way with it, right? You know, but I think it comes down to this: if you've tried a lot, a lot of things, mm-hmm. and you're going to go to a clinic, a ketamine clinic, and, and mm-hmm. see what they have to offer, mm-hmm. oh, man, if you have PTSD from something, whether you were in war, a lot of veterans suffering that. Right. Well, am I going to sit there and go, no, don't do, don't do it? Just sit there and keep suffering. Yeah, no, I, I would, I wouldn't do that. Um, I just don't have any experience with it um, to really criticize, right? If Let's say I was just to be honest, though, if I was if someone called me and they were um, struggling with uh, trauma or PTSD or whatever it is, and they're they're self-medicating and they're addicted to drugs and alcohol, I'm going to um, share my experience on what worked for me. Correct. And try to kind of show them that path. But if that path doesn't work for them, um, you know, who am I? It's just like you said. So here's 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 a question you don't need to answer. I'm just going to throw it out there for those who are listening. Mm hmm. If somebody does do ketamine treatments mm-hmm. in the guise of a under, under the guise of a full clinic and mm-hmm. a doctor, and yep. they do microdosing with shrooms to help with PTSD and depression and anxiety, uh-huh. are they no longer sober? No. Well, see, this is and I, fr- <laughs> I no, I, I firmly believe this. To thy own self be true. Mm, I love to that. To thy own self be true. So I can't tell, you know, obviously if you're like smoking crack and shooting heroin <laughs> uh, in front of everybody, I'm probably going to judge you and say, yeah, you're not sober. I'm not going to judge you and think you're a bad person. No. I don't mean to say it like that. <laughs> no. But I'm going to be like, yeah, you're probably not sober. But if you're doing that or uh, whatever it is, um, take it. I heard of someone that was uh, taking sips of of alcohol trying it because what happened was i was at a wedding Uh, this is the first time this ever happened to me i come out from outside where everybody's like smoking hanging out i come out from outside i go back inside the wedding i grab my drink because there's no drinks allowed outside and i had a uh, a mocktail like a non-alcoholic drink i grab my drink i uh i drink it and it's alcohol yeah and i get it like all in my mouth, back of my throat, and I spit it out instantly, and I kind of panicked. That was the first time I tasted alcohol in nine and a half years. Oh, and uh, yeah. so it kind of sprung a conversation about how, um, you know, like sip, trying drinks or whatnot, yeah. and uh, that's and I'm like, yeah, I I wouldn't do that. And anybody in my recovery circle or that I'm sponsoring or helping or in our treatment center, definitely recommending not to do that. But if you're if you're saying you're sober and you do that. I'm who am I to be like, no, you're not. No, you're not. I just just think to thy own self be true. Oh, did it? No, no, it just did that. It was just doing feedback issues. Uh, Test, test, test. Yeah, it was just feedback issues. Um, Yeah, no, I mean, because I had that same thing. I was at a party. Ah, mm-hmm. I was at a party, which is now I have to really flag my drinks with like extra little things on top of them just so I know, right? But I'm mm-hmm. a big mocktail guy. 
Um, and I always tell people, I was like, you ever go to a wedding, order a mocktail? People won't even ask you, why aren't you drinking? If you yeah. if you don't want to have the question being asked, why don't you? Why aren't you drinking? Mm-hmm. Just order a mocktail and tell the freaking bartender, hey, listen, put it in an alcoholic looking drinking glass, not like the big <laughs> ones, like the big Coke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because then people are gonna be like, what? Um, that's a big drink. How'd you get a big drink like that? No. Yeah. Um, but I'm the same thing. I I did have a sip one time where I thought I was drinking my drink. It was alcohol, and I had a panic attack. This was a long time. I was still kind of earlier on in sobriety. I think I had maybe like six or seven years at the time. Um, and I did have a, like a panic attack and somebody was just like, dude, you didn't relapse. Like it's all good. But it, right. It goes back to intent. Like what was your intent? Like mm-hmm. my intent was not to get a free like sip of something, you know? No. Um, but yeah, I just, always, I, I, I know that comes up. Yeah. And there's a, there is, there is still a lot of judging right in the, in the recovery world when other people yeah. are doing their things, but, or MAT or, you know, whatever it is, whatever it is, the, right. Yeah. There, there is still, there is still that, but I love that to thine own, uh, to thine own self to find what sobriety looks like to you. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, a, I'm fully believer of that. And I will just say it very, very clear. If you are at a ketamine clinic and you do suffer from PTSD and your doctor is suggesting that you try a different modality and you try something new, dude, if I look at you, you think I lost respect for you? Are you effing kidding me? Zero, none, none built. Yeah. I, that means nothing to me. Because what I tell people mm-hmm. all the time, recovery to me is more than just not picking up and using. Mm-hmm. That's not recovery that. to me. Yeah. yeah, sure, right, in the technical sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but recovery to me is more than just being able to collect a medallion saying, I haven't picked up a drink or a drug in umpteen years. No, recovery to me is, are you a good dad? Yeah. Are, you, are, are, are you a good friend? Are you mm-hmm. good for others? Are you showing up, mm-hmm. right? That's the totality of recovery to me. So I could look at somebody, okay, you haven't picked up a drug or a drink anymore. How many times have you cheated on your wife? Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Four or five times? You ain't in recovery, right? Like yeah. I can easily throw that back. If, if, if my version of recovery is all these things mm-hmm. added and combined and you ain't living up to that, I can throw it right back at you and go, mm-hmm. well, to me, mm-hmm. you're not really recovered. <laughs> you know? well, yeah, and I, I think it's all about context. And when you're saying that, I was kind of envisioning um, like a scenario, an example of this. So let's say you have two people with 10 years sober, one miserable, white knuckling it, not doing anything. And recovery to me is about personal growth. So they're not working on themselves. Totally. They're just sitting there, white knuckling, <laughs> 10 years sober, somehow miraculously, miraculously got 10 years sober. Miserable asshole, just like, you yeah. know, just not fun to be around. Um, no integrity, cheating yeah. on his wife. Right. But then you have a guy with 10 years sober who um, has mental health issues, trauma from childhood. Maybe they were uh, a veteran and have PTSD, severe PTSD, and they're just going through the motions. They're you know, doing everything that's suggested of them, like really growing as a person, they're doing therapy and then they uh, go and, and nothing's working. They've tried medications. They go to the ketamine clinic and do that. Like I said, I don't have a ton of experience with it, but who, you know, right. If you're going to like, everybody's equal, but if you're going to say who's more sober than the other, probably the, the latter, you know, right. And so it's all about context. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Um, all right. As we begin to close here, we're going to show some video yeah. um, happening over at Pinnacle Peak because it's mm-hmm. got to be pretty exciting time mm-hmm. for you. Because when I met you like back in September, mm-hmm. August, September, mm-hmm. um, you know, there were the plans. I walked in. I'm like, man, what are you all about to be building here? Because I see yeah. some construction going on on the first floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got to be a pretty exciting time because you guys are about to 
open yeah. a residential facility at mm-hmm. at Pinnacle? What is that going to look like? Yeah, um, we're really excited. It should be open in the next couple of months. So we started in 2015 and uh, rented a 5,000 square feet office space at um, the corner of Morgan Trail and Hayden, which is by Hayden and Shea. And uh, we slowly expanded throughout the... Um, uh, the second floor and, uh, expanded our outpatient center to around 8,000 square feet in the other part of the building. It's 20,000 square foot building. The other, uh, suites were occupied by doctors or, um, I think there was a tax firm, you know, just different businesses and they slowly moved out and the owner approached us a couple times to buy the building. And we're like, Hey, look, this is kind of, we're ahead of our skis. Cause we're, you know, we grew this organically. We don't have like, we're not investor back. So we're like, we're a little ahead of our skis. So then we looked into a government program called the SBA um, and it's small business association and they do loans to help out small businesses. So we were able to get a loan. We got the building. I met you, showed you what our plans were. We're building out a residential center downstairs. And so now it's this really um, big, in my opinion, big freestanding building in a beautiful area of McCormick Ranch. And the downstairs is going to be a 36 bed residential and the upstairs will stay our outpatient center. And so we've been under construction for almost a year because we got held up for permitting with Scottsdale. It's been a grind, but we are almost <laughs> at the end and uh, really looking forward to our grand opening. Dang, that's awesome. And you're going to start with how many, you're going to open up with how many beds at the beginning? Well, so it'll be licensed for 36 beds, but um, you know, it's going to take time to grow. So I would imagine we'll have like an average census of around 10 people and then we'll just organically um try to get the word out and 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 grow it yeah it's it's amazing it's amazing because you guys offer the full continuum of care Mm -hmm. um at pinnacle yeah um i mean from detox to php to iop Mm -hmm. right and to even the integrated care so we continue with uh, uh primary care services and and psych services if needed and counseling for folks who've been through your program and on the yeah people that came through our program or just the community if you're not ready to go to treatment you could start there yeah gosh it's so amazing especially with the need especially right now with mm-hmm. the needs of behavioral health one of the big things we're we're going to be talking about on good morning sunshine our new morning show is that now i'm going to call it post pandemic just because people aren't wearing masks anymore concerts are back mm-hmm. everybody's going to sporting <laughs> events so i'm just going to call it post pandemic mm-hmm. even though people are going to push back and be like we're still in a pandemic i'm like okay people aren't wearing masks everybody's going to crowd People are going back to life yeah. as normal. However, mm-hmm. however, just because we're taking the masks off, we're going to you know watch Dua Lipa in the Footprint Center in downtown. She was here the other day, um, <laughs> and we're going to pack stadiums and all that stuff. Does that all of a sudden mean what happened over the last two years? The trauma that every single person in this world faced—we all faced it. There's mm-hmm. not one person who did not. Okay, right. um, that we all face is all of a sudden that go away. Right. And or is it that we need to be very mindful of Mm -hmm. what we all experienced over the last couple of years will continue to impact us in some way if we don't go back and heal from the way it helped us. So I think it's hugely important. I think the red flags are still going to be there. And I want people, you know, to understand and be aware Mm -hmm. of some behavioral health issues. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so passionate about it. And, and honestly, our hearts are really in the right place with everything we're doing. Like the reason why we built out the integrated care clinic is not only to have this full continuum to really support and help our clients, but to reach our hands out to the state of Arizona and try to impact as many families in a positive way as possible. Because behavioral health is rooted throughout families everywhere. And uh, on the integrated care side, we take access so we can really expand that reach as well. I mean, we're really in it just to make a positive impact. 
Yeah. So. That's awesome. Um, Pinnacle Peak Recovery, you're going to be able to see all the information right now on your screen. Go ahead, call them, check them out. One of the premier uh, recovery and treatment centers here in the Valley. We'll see you back here for the next episode.